Hello everyone, my name is Nate. Uh, for those who do not know me, I was serving with the church uh, four years ago and then I've been sent on missions for the past three years with Operation Mobilization. If you want to hear more about that tonight, evening service, 6pm, please come, it'll be fun. Um, I promise. It won't be boring. Um, I've been tasked to share with us about why we believe, and especially, more specifically, why I believe. So we just came from a, a series that was all about mission. Loved it, by the way. It was awesome. If you haven't heard it, go check it out. Um, and now we're kind of transitioning into sort of Easter. Uh, so I'm going to bring a bit of mission flair and as we transition to looking at why we believe what we believe. We're going to be based in a, in a passage of scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. You're going to hear my story. You're going to hear a very famous story that we all should know. And a story of a very famous guy as well. All combined together. So let me just pray quickly as we read God's word. Father, thank you for your word. I pray what we know not that you would teach us, what we are not that you would make us, and what we believe not that you'd help us to believe. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. So there once was a man named Saul. He grew up in a place called Tarsus, which is now modern-day Turkey. And he was born into a Jewish household. He was raised to, to read and to, to study the scriptures, the Torah. And he was taught how to make tents. And eventually, in his dedication to learning Torah, he was invited to become a Pharisee. So he heads up to Jerusalem. To, to go into further studies. Uh, there he was, uh, according to history, he was studying under a very well-known rabbi, of which he would then come back to his hometown to lead a synagogue for a few years. Then he's coming back to a Jerusalem. But this time, when he comes back to Jerusalem, a man very well experienced, very knowledgeable of the scriptures, he finds Jerusalem not the same way when he left it. There's been a new cult that has uh, emerged, people of the way, the Nazareans as he called them, followers of Jesus, followers of a man who claims to be God, the highest form of blasphemy and this soul, he cannot take it, so he seeks 
to do what he can to rid Jerusalem, purge them of the impurity of Christians as he's involved in the first martyrdom, killing of Stephen. And he doesn't stop there, but his bloodlust for persecution continues as he seeks out to rid all Christians of not only Jerusalem, but nearby nations as well. He has a letter from the chief priest at the time to go to Damascus and imprison the Christians so he can finally get rid of them. And on his way, on his journey to Damascus, what happens but he sees a bright light and he hears his name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul answers, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. This man who was a murderer, this man who was a persecutor of the church, he was speaking with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and was not condemned. But for three days he was blind, did not eat, did not drink, until a disciple came and prayed for him, and the scales falls off his eyes and he sees, he is baptized and becomes a follower of Jesus and goes and preaches the gospel in the very synagogues that he was teaching in, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is what the people who saw him said. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and those who called upon this name Jesus? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? After this, he goes on to become one of the greatest missionaries of all time, planting churches where there was no foundation of the church. And he was one who went and took the gospel to the nations. And we all know him now today as the Apostle. What a story. What a testimony. And I'm going to walk us through three things very quickly from this testimony that will link into my story and help us to understand our story as well. And the first thing is that Paul was a sinner who literally persecuted God, an enemy of God. Number two, he came to believe by divine intervention and overflowing grace. And number three, he was used by God to see many other people believing in the good news of the gospel. So let's break this down. Number one, Paul was a persecutor. He was a sinner. He was an enemy of God. Verse 12 and verse 13 of 1 Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Though Paul was raised in a family that was teaching him how to love God and be devoted to God, a family that taught him to, to value Torah, to value law, and a family that said anything that contradicts this law is going against God, is not loving God. Yet ironically, we find Paul is not a 
friend of God, but an enemy of God. So why are you persecuting me? He murders many Christians, yet he was raised to love and know God. But he finds himself, ironically, as an enemy to God. I was born, not in a, a religious household, I was born out of wedlock. I went to my parents' wedding when I was four years old. Not many people can say that. Um, I, in my early years, was very open to the existence of God. But as I started to grow up, that tolerance for the existence of God very quickly started to fade as I experienced a lot of traumatic events in my life. My parents underwent a, a horrible divorce of which I was very much involved. And I had a very um, terrible fallout with some of my friends in high school. And a few of these events basically led me to become uh, what I would call a very angry atheist. Uh, which I blamed God for everything. I was very outspoken at school. Uh, I had Christian friends, Muslim friends, and I would really just riddle their beliefs. I would try and uh, get them to announce their faith, to denounce their faith, and stop believing in this brainwashed idea of God, because surely God cannot exist with this suffering in the world. Uh, this went on to a point where two of my friends who were professing Christians actually renounced their faith and no longer followed Jesus. You see, I hated God. Paul, though he was raised in a Jewish home, was raised to think he loves God, actually in himself was also hating the true God, Jesus calls himself a blasphemer and this might come to a shock to you but everyone here at some point is an enemy to God as well and though you might have been raised and born in a Christian home you actually might hate God you see the Bible tells us in 1st John chapter 3 that sin is lawlessness and if we take a look at the law of God, we'll all find out that we've broken it severely. The very law that is meant to help us be in relationship to a holy God, we have gone against. Well, some of you might ask, but I haven't quite murdered anyone, or I haven't committed adultery. Maybe I've lied to my parents, or maybe I've dishonored my parents. Um, but Jesus takes it to a heart level. He says, you know, if if you've looked at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. If you've been angry at a brother, you've murdered him. If you've created a God in your own likeness, you've fallen to idolatry. And all these actions are actually actions of, of hatred to a holy God. You see, we might not understand this whole idea of how big sin is because we don't understand how valuable, how precious God is. If I take a knife and I, and I scratch a piece of grass, will there be much consequence? No. Why? Because the grass doesn't have that much value. If I take a knife and I go into a junkyard and there's a rusty old car and I make a huge scratch in that car, will I have much consequence? 
maybe a bit more than grass, but probably not, right? But if I go and I take my knife and I go to Uncle Craig's car and I scratch Uncle Craig's car, will, I, will there be consequences? Yes. I'm not going to do that, Craig, don't worry. I live with him. There'll be massive consequences for me. Why? Because the car is valuable. But if I take a knife and I go to the most expensive sports car and I scratch that car, there will be a very significant consequence. Why? Because it is of great value. Now, imagine us as we scratch something that is infinitely beautiful. It doesn't matter to what degree you've done it. Maybe I'm not like Paul. Maybe I haven't literally heard it. The reality is we have all scratched and gone against someone who is infinitely precious and infinitely valuable. And that is God. And therefore our punishment will also be one of infinite measure. See, that's why sin is so big. That's why it's a big deal because God is a big deal and we are the ones who have sinned against God. The first point we're making here is that actually we're all sinners, just like Paul. We are all those who have hated and been enemies of God. And this isn't the greatest of news. This isn't the, the thing you probably want to hear, but it is the truth. Yet we find Paul encountering Jesus this Jesus who he has persecuted and done horrible things against. And how does Jesus meet Paul? Does he smite him? Does he pour out all his wrath on him instantly? No. no. Instead, he invites him to follow Jesus inviting Paul, an enemy of God, to become actually a child of God. And this is by what I call overflowing grace. So point to overflowing grace. Verse 14 and verse 15 says, And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul describes himself as the worst of sinners. That he has not only committed the most amount of cosmic crimes against God, the King of the universe, but he's also committed crimes that are severe. Yet, God chooses to have mercy on him and forgive him. I hate God. I was the result of two people to, to leave their faith. I lived for myself and I was very angry the existence or even the idea that God existed. One day when I was 17, as a result of a lot of the circumstances I was going through, I was very depressed and very I was invited to go to a camp and this camp was run by my school, Pines High School, CU camp. And Mr. Parsons decided to to pay for my, my trip. So I didn't have to do anything. I was going to get a lift there. I had it full expenses paid. Camp. All I had to do was say yes. And I did say yes. And I went to this camp. And for the first time, I realized.
really actually heard the gospel and I and I read the Bible and I saw something special between how Christians loved each other and interacted with each other and on the second night of that camp I had a real experience with Jesus where finally everything just clicked and I knew this was the truth and I felt a love and a peace that I could not explain and I suddenly like my depression was lifted and gone and I was a new man and a, and a leader sat with me and he thoroughly went in depth about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, how I will have to pick up my cross, how there will be suffering. And he says, do you still believe this is the truth? And something inside of me was saying, yes. And from that day, I decided to follow Jesus. And as I went home for the first time, I was able to look at my parents with love and actually forgive them because I hated them alongside my hatred for God because of what they put me through. And now for the first time in years, I could genuinely say that I had forgiven my parents and that I loved them. Now, being told that you're a sinner isn't the best news, as I was saying before. But there is, that is only half of the story of what we, what we call the good news. The good news in, in Latin is Evangelium, and it's a word that was often used when, when two nations were at, were at war with each other, and someone was sent to bear the news that the war had been won, and it was totally over, and the nation was at peace. And when this news went out, that nation would be transformed from living in, in fear of their lives to living in joy, living in peace. The war is over. And this same word is used to describe the good news of Jesus Christ. That we once were enemies to God at war with Him in ourselves, but now because of His one and only Son, the war is over and we can be at peace. We can have joy in God. And how this happened is because God so loved the world, God demonstrating His great love for us sends Jesus into the flesh, Son of God taking on humanity, living a perfect life, a life we could not live, a life of loving God and obeying His law so that He could represent us on the cross, taking our punishment. Because you see, sin brought death. Death is the immediate consequence, the wage, the thing that we deserve for our sin. So in order for our sin to be paid, that wage, that debt that's against us must be paid. It's like if I've committed a crime against the government, I'm standing before the judge and there's a massive fine against me I cannot pay. Jesus came and he paid that fine so I could be free. But more than that, he, he rose again, conquering sin death. And he says, whoever would believe in me would have eternal life. Now, what is true faith? Faith 
to use this analogy, it's like having a parachute. I'm in a plane and I'm jumping off. I can believe with all my heart that this parachute will save me, but if I don't put it on and pull the chute, I'm going to die. True faith is to put that parachute on and pull it and be saved. Likewise, the Bible says faith without works is dead. True faith looks like to pick up your cross, to die to yourself, to follow Jesus every single day, relying on that grace that is there, sufficient for you, all your sins paid, past, present, and future. So why, why would you believe? Why wouldn't you believe? Think of the great gift that is in store for you, to know God, who says He is the greatest treasure. He says He is like a a treasure in a field that a man came in looking for it and he sold everything he had so he could purchase the field and have the treasure. That is what it is like to know God and to love Him. So point number one, we are sinners. And point number two, there is overflowing grace. I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ may display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. The King of Ages, immortal and visible, only God be glory and forever and ever. Amen. Paul concludes that the purpose of his conversion, of his faith, the reason why he believes is so that he, by the grace of God, can now represent who God is to other people. And that grace doesn't just stop on you. As Craig showed us a couple of weeks ago, he poured a cup full of water, and that water just kept on overflowing, kept on overflowing, so it could fill other cups even. And likewise, the grace that has been given to you wasn't just meant to stop with you, it was meant to overflow to those around you. Paul took his faith, took his salvation experience, and he went to the nations to preach the gospel so that others would know him. Now, you might not be called to, to go into another nation and to preach the gospel, but that's okay because it wasn't just the Pauls who really advanced the gospel. Paul took and he made the gospel in, in a foundation. He established a church, and the church went out and really spread the gospel. The, the people who, whose names and faces we'll never know, they are the ones who really spread the word of God. And so today, as I look to you guys, I look to a bunch of people who have now heard this good news, and I ask you a few good questions. Do you truly believe? Do you have that parachute pulling faith turning from sin to the glory of God if you do the second question is what is that purpose of that faith are you living like the purpose of me believing is so that I can be now comfortable in my salvation I can be me and God just us two rolling it out or am I living in a way in which other people experience the grace of God through my life, through my words, through my actions? 
because the purpose of this grace is to overflow into the lives of other people. God is wanting to save and redeem this broken world. And I want to ask you, are you wanting to get involved in doing that? Because if you say you believe, that makes you a disciple. A disciple, the word in Greek is mathetes, which is where we get the word mathematics from. It has a sense of multiplication. Essentially, disciples make disciples. You cannot be a disciple if you do not make disciples, because that is what a disciple, what it means to be a disciple. So my question here is, do you believe this good news with all your heart? And are you willing to allow grace to overflow to those around you? Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, come before you and I thank you that we stand with confidence because of your one and only Son. That in Him, we can enter into your presence freely. In Him, we can stand before a holy God, knowing that we are not judged, knowing that we shall not be condemned, for our judgment was put on Christ. And now we have the freedom to know and love you, God, our Creator, the Creator of the universe, the Holy of Holies, the Alpha and Omega. And I pray that every single person here would have true and genuine faith that they would count the cost to follow you that they would pick up their cross even if it means dying to themselves to know you and have your life instead of their own Father God I pray and as they do that or for those who have believed it I pray that grace would overflow the life of other people that they would be contagious who see other people coming to believe because simply of their lives, simply of their words, simply of their, their deeds. And they would see our love for one another and know that we are your disciples. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.